Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. How could he? Whether this is the first time you've heard that parable or the 1,000th time you've heard that parable, you ask certain questions as you are forced to be introduced to these people in this parable, and it's really hard to get past that first question you ask with that younger son. How could he? I mean, imagine being there and hearing somebody say to their father, I want my inheritance. When does that usually happen when somebody gets an inheritance from their parents? When they're dead? So permit a quick modern rendition or a take on what this younger son basically says to his father. Hey, old daddy-o, thanks for life. It's been good, but you're dead to me, and you can fall over and die tomorrow. But first, I just really don't care. Certainly not about that other brother of mine. Look at him. Um, If you could just wire transfer all that money to my account, Crypto would be great. Bitcoin, maybe. Um, I need to go. I need to go. I don't really care about being in this house. I don't really care about being associated with you. I don't really care about this family. I'm done. In, In modern day Jesus time, if a son would have done this to the father, there's social laws that would permit the father to drive the son out of the house, off the property, with violent beatings. I mean, imagine if you saw a father chasing his grown son out of the house with a two-by-four. You'd think, I need to call the cops on the father. But if you're one of Jesus' listeners, what you actually would have thought is, I think I got a Louisville slugger I can use in case he breaks the two-by-four. Okay, it's a bit drastic. Never mind the fact that this is completely ridiculous in the hearing of the day. Put yourself there watching this all take shape. So he asked the father for the inheritance and for what? To pursue the grass is greener philosophy in life, which we know that always works out, right? He squanders everything with wild living. So What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Let's say he goes to some place like that and whatever he does or all that he does, just multiply it by two two or three in your own imagination just to be safe for how extremely bad this was. And that's what he does and he wastes all of it with no care of what he's going to have in the long run and then all of a sudden there's a famine and he finds himself what? Longing to eat pig slop. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, serves you right. Sometimes life has to hit you like a two by four upside the head. And serves you right because the first question we're asking is, how could you do such a thing? How could you do such a thing? And maybe you've seen it in people where you look and they have everything going for them and they waste it for what? She chases after that guy who's a deadbeat or he goes after that girl who ends up doing something else. Like, all for what? You're promising college education, a career. You left your family behind. All of these things, you severed this relationship that you had with your family. You totally gave the middle finger to your father and your mother. You totally ran away and wasted everything that was yours. It is supposed to be striking. I won't apologize for making it such because we have to ask the question, how could he? It was hitting Jesus' listeners upside the head that way and it should us. 
This parable is commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal comes from the word prodigious, which means to be wasteful. You see that word happen twice, or a synonym of it, when it says, he squandered. And then the older son later says, he squandered your property. But this is not just a parable about one son. This is a parable about two sons. While the one son is really easy to identify according to all of his disobedience and how lost he is, is that older son so found? Question mark. How could he? Think about that. As he finds out what's going on, he postures himself outside the home, looking like a seven-year-old folding his arms, about ready to throw a temper tantrum and stomp until he gets his ways. He takes this platform, this position, this podium, which puts him at direct opposition to his father. By the way, according to the social norms of the day, he too could have been driven out of the house for a time on account of that behavior. This one who's so obedient. He's showing complete disregard and disrespect for his father. And he does not have one care to give about his brother who is home. He doesn't even address him as my brother. He says, this son of yours. You notice that? He doesn't care. How, how could he? I mean, do, do you have to be like really bad? I mean, maybe his younger brother said some bad things before he left or however, the, however it actually went as we try and find ourselves in this story. But do you really have to be that hard-hearted in order to not give one hoot when your younger brother comes home and you, along with your father and everyone else, really thought he was dead? How could he? How could you act so self-righteous, so calloused, so cold? And when you're living with your father, you should know better. This is your, he's your father too, and he's also the father of this. Do you not, how could he? But the next question you have to ask after you ask how could he, the younger son, or how could he, the older son, you have to then kind of zoom out and realize it's a story, even though we kind of get wrapped up in it. Jesus is the master storyteller, gets us fired up. And the first verses go how? All of these sinners and tax collectors are gathering around Jesus. And then Jesus tells this parable. Did they get it? That's the next question you have to ask. Did they get it as he was describing them to a T? As tax collectors, they would sell out their family members and fellow countrymen, stabbing them in the back fiscally so that they could line their pockets and pay taxes to the enemy Romans who were enslaving or at least controlling the land of their day and their, and their, and their, his, their fellow people. You have these people who are squandering every relationship that they have so that they can get wealth upon wealth and they're walking around with these new donkeys and have a nice new home and new shiny clothes and all of that you paid for with your tax taxes. If, if your brother was a tax collector, needless to say, you wouldn't invite him for Thanksgiving dinner. He would be dead to you. So these sinners, these, oh, yeah, we're all sinners. We all come into church and we all need God's grace. No, 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 no. This is like those people when you say their last name, everyone who kind of knows them kind of goes. It's that woman who got around quite a bit, maybe still is. It's the guy who's an abuser. 
It's that person who's an addict. It's the other one who's a dealer. That guy who always gets in trouble at the bar. The other one who's been, spent time in jail here and there. The police are kind of always nearby when this person's walking around the street. And whether you're in a small town or a big town, there's just some kind of names where you're like, that, that per- that's what it means. They carry the reputation of being sinners. So the question is, did they get it? As Jesus was describing them to a T in the younger son. I would like to think that they did. Otherwise, why else would they be there? Need I also submit this fact? They were not hearing a message of forgiveness and grace from any of the other religious preachers of their day. But did the other group get it? So there's tax collectors and sinners sitting there. Who else is there? They have a question of their own, don't they? They're not asking, how could he, the younger son, or how could he, the older son? They're saying, how could he, Jesus? He eats with sinners, even eats with them. He, he welcomes them in. How gross is that? That's disgusting. Who is this guy? How could he do such a thing? And then Jesus tells this parable. Did they get it as Jesus is describing the older son? As he all but calls them out by name? These Pharisees and teachers of the law who think that based on all of their life of obedience, the pomp and circumstance, the show of religiosity, that they look better than everyone and oh, they have these long, almost Pinocchio length like snooty noses looking down in such pious manners on everyone who is not quite as holy as they are. You know, a type of posture that stands on the outside folding their arms like a seven-year-old about to throw a temper tantrum if the Father in heaven were to show grace to anyone who's not as holy as they are. Did they get it? So after you ask the question, how could he? Either one. And did they get it? You then have to wrestle with the ironies that exist. Is it not ironic that the younger son has this existence in his father's home, wants his father dead, takes the inheritance in pursuit of a better lifestyle where he ends up bottoming out so bad that he would even gladly welcome the bottom rung position in his father's house? How ironic. Is it not ironic that he wants his father dead in welcoming this inheritance, but as he comes back, he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you and am no longer worthy to be called your son, which puts him on a position lower than low. Is that not ironic? But oh, the irony continues, does it not? Is it not ironic that this older son, who cares so much about how his father is going to show love and respect, doesn't show an ounce of love and respect to his father in this moment at all. And is it not further ironic that this older son thinks that he deserves to have a say on what his father does with his gifts based on his obedience, that when this father actually wants to do something with his gifts, he then acts in absolute disobedience. We might might say that's not even irony, that's fat hypocrisy. So what you have here between the younger son and the older son is the spectrum of lostness through all humanity. The younger son is lost according to his disobedience and the older son is lost according to his obedience. The younger son is lost in his unrighteousness. The older son is lost in this seemingly self-righteous posture. How ironic. 
And then there's one more question, actually two more, that you have to ask. But first, let me start this way before you get to the next question. How many times have you woke up and you're filled with guilt and shame on account of the sins that you've committed the night before? Where you feel, spiritually speaking, if not literally speaking, that if there was a spiritual stench to you, it would make a pig blush. Maybe it was pursuing the bottom of a bottle, some other substance, some type of release or validation. You were selling your soul for some type of pleasure with someone who you had no business doing that with. It was expending relationships so that you could find some gratification. It was writing off the checks of relationships so that you could find some validation or identity, all of which God has not given to you. And then when you start analyzing what that's been like for you and I do for me, then we can easily ask ourselves not, how could he, but how could I? And who am I? Do we have anything better to say than, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be called your child. I would submit that for all of us in here, there have been times when we can identify with that position, where we know that according to our guilt and our shame, we have nothing to say. We, we might have this restitution plan, but there's nothing more to say except the question, how could I? Or who am I? I would also submit to you that that's a little bit harder for the second son, the older son, I should say. Allow me to describe it this way. How many times have you heard this parable explained or preached upon? And when this parable is preached upon, largely it's about this younger son, and we are so grateful when we get to welcome wayward sinners who are lost and they're a little bit worse than us. After all, look at us here. I mean, we're in church. Most of you showered this morning. We're looking pretty good. Some of you could have, you know, used a little bit freshening up, but that's okay. I'm kidding. But for for the most part, I mean, look at us. We're here. And so when we're able to welcome sinners home and point them to God's grace, then we're so grateful that those wayward and lost brothers can be brought back. And it's always called the parable of the prodigal son, not just in its misnomer, but also in our understanding of it. And when we understand it that way, we have totally missed it. We have totally missed it. If Pardon me for saying this strongly. If you think that up to this point, this parable is largely about those other people out there who need grace more than you, you are the older son. It's you. It's me. That's supposed to be jarring. No, I'm not. Even the notion that right now you would want to respond or I would want to respond, nah, not really. That's it. That, that is the older son. It's like blood on the hands. That's it. There is a younger son and an older son that lives in each of us. I mean, think of it. How many times is it easy for us to think that based on our track record or our pedigree, how long we've been a member or our church attendance, the works of service or the nice things that we did to a person that was needy yesterday, that somehow we are checking boxes and climbing rungs in the ladder that make us more worthy of God's grace? That's the older son. 
Or that there are people out there that are in much more need of this grace than I am. That's the older son. Or I don't really need to, Jesus loves me, this I know, and that is all I need to know. I don't really need, that's the older son. This is a parable about two sons, both of whom are lost, and you and I can find ourselves on this side in our disobedience or lost on this side in our obedience or somewhere in between. The one place we are not is not on that spectrum. Jesus covers all of humanity with two sons. Who am I that based on anything that I have done, I deserve to stand before my Father in heaven and have him look even upon me at all, much less glowingly, as though I've deserved an ounce of his attention, much less a fragment of the reward of heaven. Who am I? Who are you? But you have to get to that point. And I've purposely asked all of those questions in that order because then you get to the heart of the parable because the parable is not really about two sons as much as it is about a man who has two sons. And when you ask the question, who am I, then what do you get to see? You get to see a father who does what? While he was still a long way off, I mean, imagine you watch your son go over the horizon on that path and every morning you wake up. Every afternoon you pause. Every single evening you look and there on the horizon, you would just give anything. You'd give your left or right arm or both just to see the silhouette of your son coming back. You would give absolutely anything for him. While he was a long way off, the father's looking, hoping, expecting, wanting, nothing more than what? Than to welcome sinners home. Does this not describe your God? And fathers, back then, they didn't go run. They'd have to lift up their tunic. This is super awkward and hug and kiss them and give them the robe and the signet ring. None of that matters because your father in heaven does not care about social niceties when all that matters is that you who are lost in the pig-like stench of your sin and in that of my guilt, we get to experience a father who doesn't care what the world thinks, but he welcomes us back home. That is your father. That is your father. That is a father who does not care what your track record is. He doesn't want to hear the PowerPoint presentation of how you're going to work your way back up by starting on the bottom floor as one of the servants. He doesn't want to hear it. Just like this father, he doesn't pay no mind to it. He turns and says, quick servants, go get all the goods. Let's celebrate. He doesn't even listen to that plan. So it is with your father who doesn't want to hear about how you're going to make up for what you did wrong or do enough good to cover over the bad. He has no time for that. All he wants to show you is his grace. That's it. Does he not do the same for the older brother? He goes out and pleads with him. And what does he say to the older brother out in that field and to the older brother that lives here too? Everything I have is yours. It's all yours. You already live, you already have this house. Do you not see my grace? That yeah, it includes you too. Does this not describe your father to a T for you and me even lost in our self-righteousness that God would seek us out to, shatter, to, to, to rattle us and to shatter any cages we like to build around ourselves as though we have no need for God's grace? He comes pleading to us still. Why? So we would simply find ourselves resting in our father's 
home. The question, the number one question you have to ask, look at me when, I'm, when I say this, how could God? That's the question. The only question that matters above all the others. How could God? When I knew who I am and you know who you are. It's because of his mercy. And you know how that mercy was carried out? You can see a glimmer of it in the parable. The father didn't get his inheritance back. He didn't go to that distant country and say, hey guys, yeah, my younger son, he went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for a moment. You know, can we just kind of call this even and can I get my inheritance back? Because that's a lot of money. No, he doesn't. He still incurs the expense in order to welcome his sinner home. He is accepting the fact that he lost a son's inheritance in order to welcome the younger son home. He still says to his older son, everything I have is yours. There is an expense there. So where is the expense when you ask the question, how could God, in order to welcome you home, he doesn't just deal in vagueness. He doesn't deal in a vacuum. There still has to be an expense. And where is that found? As an ancient, ancient, ancient preacher once put it, there is one more son that is not in the parable, but he is the one telling the parable. He is the one who is the father's expense. He is the one who lived the perfect life of obedience, not to shove your face in your disobedience, but so that his righteousness would be like a robe that covers your life now and forever. He gave that to you in your baptism. He does more than just give you a signet ring that tells you you're part of the family. He has prepared for you a crown of righteousness, a crown of life in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. He is the one who has a banquet and you have a seat at the table with your name on it and that name does not say sinner. It says daughter. It says son. It says family member. Jesus paid that price. He is the son who is the expense. He is the only reason that we have a father who welcomes us back home because of all the questions we can ask, no matter if we're weighing out the immense weight of our guilt, or we're struggling to see our lostness according to our supposed self-righteousness, our Father comes and pleads to us still that he is a Father of mercy. As we will sing in a moment, no matter how great our sin, his mercy is always and forever more. How could he? Grace. It is all grace, always. Amen.